This is the DC Comics News Podcast. I am your host, Seth Singleton. I'm joined today by Brad Felicki here for episode number 31. Brad, how are you? Good, good. How's everyone out there? Hopefully, they're going to give us a message back, and they'll listen all the way to the end when we give them all the ways that they can do that. If you listen on a regular basis, you're familiar. If it's your first time, stick around to the end. That's our chance to let you know all the ways you can reach out, let us know your thoughts, your responses, and even just answer a simple question like, how you doing out there? But uh, (laughs) that'll be at the end of the episode. Right now, we're at the beginning. As I said, this is episode number 31. You're here on the DC Comics News Podcast. And we're going to dive into a little bit of movie news, move on into some other topics, and then wrap up, as we always do, with a famous line. Trust me, it's becoming really famous, especially the way we do it. So stick around, enjoy the whole show, and then listen for those great ways to let us know what you think and what we, uh, what we should know. Because, you know, maybe you know something we don't, and that's something we want to hear. We're going to get things kicked off right away with some movie news. In the past six days, we celebrated the sort of milestone of the 30th anniversary to the release of Batman 1989. It was actually June 23rd, 1989, that Batman was released. And we had a chance to see on screen essentially what might be considered one of the first true superhero movies following up to perhaps Superman and I can't really think of many more that came before it except the original Batman movie way back when with Adam West and such but going with Batman 89 what did you think about this uh, 30th anniversary aside from the fact that it both points out how you know old we both are and (laughs) also (laughs) how much we fixate on what this movie means what do you think about this story Brad? Yeah, it did bring back a lot of memories. Uh, you know, I I loved that summer that the movie came out, and it really it's amazing the, what that movie started because even re, you know with different levels of success, ever since then there's been at least one superhero movie every summer, <laughs> and you didn't have yeah. that before that. I mean, because the year after that you had Dick Tracy, the year after that. Uh, you had Rocketeer. The year after that, you had Batman Returns, I believe. So it's just like every single year since then, and it really you can't really stress, un, you know, underestimate how important Batman '89 was, and it still holds up today. Uh, you know, it, I'm sure it did. I didn't get to see it when it came when they re-released it a few weeks ago, but I'm sure that those screenings were all sold out. I would only imagine that they were completely packed you know, to capacity. Uh, I know that some of our staff got the chance to do it. I also did not get the chance to go to a a big screen and see it, but because I, you know, saw the news flash that was sort of shared in in some of our community chats about, you know, this was the 30th anniversary, my wife and I put it on that night and you're right. Holds up. I mean, right there as I was watching it, this beautiful digital version on DC universe, I was like, this is just good. So much about it. It's, So well done. So, I mean, you can just feel like someone was storyboarding everything about it. And in that process, we got to see this really, as you said, also this sort of like uh, foundational movie that cemented this idea that summers are where the blockbusters are. You're always going to get a summer blockbuster in the years after we did. Yeah. And a superhero blockbuster, too. Yeah. 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 
And it's it's funny to me, another thing that kind of stuck out with this article is the fact that it was made for $35 million. Can you believe that? Like <laughs> That's unbelievable. Like, you, you, try, you could never make a Batman movie for $35 million these days. Maybe no. Big it, news when um, <laughs> Birds of Prey was, was that 35 or $45 million? And we talked about that on the podcast, too. So it's just, it's amazing how the economics of things change. And even though 30 years seems a while, but it also was kind of just yesterday. Yes. In the in the scheme of, of how many different times there had been an attempt to make superhero movies up to this point, and even a, a Batman film, this was the one that, you know, was not only the first true sort of representation of Batman on screen, the Batman that we had come to see developed through comics, and who was so close to what the modern versions were starting to talk about. I mean, yeah. you know, you could really see some of the influences involved here and just how important they were. And in that process, you also cemented in the mind's eye, I think, of anybody who saw that movie or became familiar with it, like, this is Gotham. This is the yeah. Batman universe. It, everything that came afterwards, the Gotham TV show, all of those things were inspired by this first example that said, hey, take I, a look. I, yeah, I think this and Dark Knight Returns were the biggest influences on what Batman has become, you know, ever. I mean, you know, I, we have the Batman that we have now, we have to thank to Dark Knight Returns and uh, Batman 89. I mean, some I people agree. don't like the darker version, but, you know, but, but that, uh, yeah, there's, like I said, you can't really underestimate how important Batman 89 was. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at just some of the, the facts. It opened to $40.48 million on its first weekend, and yeah. it went on to take in $251 million. I mean, that that's huge. That's yeah. Especially when you're thinking about the amount of money that was you know used to make it, and now that's sort of like production value that, that you know came out of it where people are saying, hey, look at this great investment. Look at this great story. Look at all these things that they blended perfectly and, and everybody's telling you afterwards, yep. this was a great movie. That's why we go to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed celebrating the anniversary. It was a lot of fun for us to sit down and watch it and sort of, you know, think back on, on how so much has come since. I mean, everything we're sort of experiencing now that's come afterwards, as you pointed out, whether it's the summer blockbuster or the superhero blockbuster or so many other elements that this film was, was, part of starting uh yeah. where the benefits of now uh moving along in the uh superhero movie news we have what could be another groundbreaking example of, of cinema i'm talking about teen titans go versus teen titans pause for dramatic effect there it is so if you're not familiar with a new trailer has just been released introducing this concept i got a chance to take a look for myself but if I'm the one introducing this story, isn't it more fun to hear what Brad has to say? I think so. Brad, what do you think? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I think the uh, the villains fighting each other looks pretty fun, too. Uh, and I, th I do think that a lot of fans have kind of been wanting this for a while. And it's funny because I think you have certain groups of fans that one likes Teen Titans Go and one likes Teen Titans better so it's kind of fun to have them verse each other now so the fandoms can fight but uh, yeah i think it looks like a lot of fun i think so too i i laughed my butt off i yeah. i can honestly say that i haven't watched as much of teen titans go um yeah it 
it always broadcast at like middle of the day times, I think, on like Cartoon Network or other affiliates on my, like, I think either. And we've changed a few different DirecTV and different things like that. So it was hard for me to really keep track of. And um, and so I just never sunk into it enough where it was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to DVR this and catch it all the time. But the, the few times I caught it, I thought it was funny. I thought it seemed very like modern and timely and, you know, did that great adult and kids thing. And then seeing this trailer in which you get to see, you know, the Teen Titans that I've really enjoyed from you know, their cartoon versions on Young Justice and others who are so serious. It was just a really fun comparison between the two. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. little stuff like Starfire going uh, the Starfire from Teen Titans Go going, oh, wow, they're Robin's so cute. <laughs> and they're all like smushed together like everybody like Cyborg and everybody else is like, oh, wow, he's so handsome. Yeah. And I thought that that sort of like, you know, look that and the Trigon, the baby yes. Trigon. The sort yes, of that's, what I, yeah, that's what I said, like when the village fought, like when the Trigon fought was hilarious. I think that was my favorite part. And I was like, that's you got me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it also looks like there was a tease for maybe some sort of like raven sort of creature or a raven spirited creature yeah. fighting yeah. off against dragon. Yeah. It, it, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're yeah. a fan of either, you know, of these versions of the Titans, I think you're going to have fun seeing them compared and sort of um, <laughs> enjoying the conflict. And then I love the tease in the trailer that said something about now it's time for the cooperation. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I know the things I'm saying probably don't make much sense if you haven't seen the trailer. So I'm going to say go see the trailer or pause, see it, and then keep listening to what we're saying. Because otherwise, really, there's going to be a disconnect that, that I can only be responsible for and Brad can only laugh at. And there we are. <laughs> Good times. Um, on other sort of cinema and film news, a really interesting development, one that I'm intrigued by because... It sort of takes the sting out of an earlier announcement this year, one regarding Swamp Thing and its uh, release on DC Universe, followed by the announcement right after the first episode that it's being canceled and that we'd heard news leading up to it that the 13 episode season had been chopped to 10. And there was a lot of frustration for me. So this new news that Swamp Thing is rumored to be eyed for a new movie is something that really intrigued me in a report that's coming out from We Got This Covered. Uh, I've got my own thoughts, Brad. How about yourself, my friend? What do you think about this news? Uh, you know, I, I take this with a grain of salt. I'd love for it to be true, but we'll see. I think it's way too early. But what would be, I, I do think it's promising in the fact that they, you know, I think that part of the reason that there's this interest in the film now is because there was a lot of backlash about the firing. And I don't think that they were expecting that. Uh, I, you know, I don't think they were expecting people to care that much. And now that they do, and they like the, the incarnation that they're seeing on the TV show, maybe they could bring back the same crew to work and do the film. So that's fingers crossed, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I agree. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that it's two sources. We got this covered in Bloody Disgusting who are saying that this yeah, story, yeah. you know, has legs and it's going somewhere. But then I look over the details and I note that it says Bloody Disgusting only chimes in to say that it can confirm that there have been discussions internally. And while that's great, that doesn't say a whole lot more than, oh, we're talking about it. Yeah. And that's as much as having a photo op to go with it saying, hey, we're talking about it. Yeah. Talking Which about made, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad they're talking about it. You know, that's that's a start, I think. You know, I think and I, I think, so I think the character deserves more than a, a canceled 
TV show, especially when people are really liking it and they, they were onto something. So I agree. Yeah. I really feel also that if there's enough of a cult response, we've seen what it's done for films like Serenity off of the Firefly series yeah. or, uh, you know, the fact that X, X-Files was able to generate enough, you know, popularity to have spinoff movies. Other properties have had the chance to go from television to film with, you know, either large success or moderate or if nothing else, fan cult support success and yeah mm-hmm. all of those seems like things that you would want to do if you have a property that people are asking for like i mean it, at some point i just ask well if people want it and you can do it in some form where's just tell me why not <laughs> yeah because that's all we want to know is all right well why not then because it sounds yeah. like a great idea and i think it would be great to have the story carry on the only other thing i'm, I'm kind of curious about is the fact that they would want to have a whole new version essentially relaunch everything new actors new you know yeah, introduction to the story I, I think if they're gonna do it I, I, I would hope and you know of course they probably will recast everything but like i was saying I, I i would hope they could bring back the original crew unless there's some kind of you know who knows what they've got on tap for the script too i guess i haven't considered that of course you know if they're just talking about it they're probably not that far ahead yet so I agree. I agree. Uh, but I'm intrigued by the fact that there's been such an early response to the idea of, okay, well, how can we take this and turn it into something better, you know, or something that's, you know, more, you know, respecting the fans who are interested in this and maybe to see how much response they get. Maybe that'll help decide if this does more than just get talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also on the news side. We've got the uh, information coming out uh, that Suicide Squad is going to set to begin filming in September. I feel like we've had enough regular Suicide Squad stories. We could potentially have in our weekly Suicide Squad segment. I don't know. Maybe we can get some theme music. Can't say for sure. <laughs> but you, we keep talking about it. And I feel like this is a, another great lead in. Um, but other than just the announcement that, you know, they're going to start filming in September. What kind of you know response did this create for you, Brad? I, I'm excited because I want to see this. I've, I've it's been fun watching this production come together. So I, I, you know, I like to see that it's still full steam ahead. And I'm hoping to get some character designs, some sketches that they can, you know, give us to give us a little hint. And you know, pretty soon, then that means we'll probably know who's playing who and have all that speculation uh, done. So I'm just, you know, I'm glad that it's closer to becoming a reality. It's been, uh, I'm, and I'm going to have fun following the, you know, the production as it continues too, as it does start filming. Because, like you said, we've almost had a story on Suicide Squad every week, so it doesn't look like that's going to slow down anytime soon. No, I, I don't think so at all. I feel like uh, this is only going to lead into confirmation at some point. I mean, we're coming up on one year away, or no, two years away from it hitting theaters. Uh, august 6 2021 so as we approach that you would think that there would be a desire to get as much confirmed as possible because at some point on set we're going to start seeing you know little tags little snippets little teasers that they want us to pay attention to or kind of get the interest going that hey we're filming check out what's going on 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 the set right yeah Uh, the only other thing i found from this story is uh you know I, i i keep thinking it when i notice whenever there's a picture of James Gunn and I just wanted to run it by you because do you ever watch the flash TV series? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you know who Harrison Wells is? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He does. Yeah. You're right. You know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah I kind of yeah. feel like, yeah, you know, right. Gunn looks Absolutely. a little bit like Harrison Wells. And it's funny. You should say that because I've looked at pictures of, J- of James Gunn and thinking, who does he look like? And man, you just nailed it. 
<laughs> you just nailed it. That's, I think, who I was trying to figure it out for a while. So I thank you. Yeah, for I was just looking at him. No, my pleasure. I just saw the like the way it was a little bit like his hair is a little bit more combed down, you know, maybe moppish mm-hmm. or, you know, and with the uh, with the glasses, I said, like, you know, he looks like yeah. a version of hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fun to join with you in on that, because I, I had to have a laugh like, hey, I wonder if I'm <laughs> the only one who thinks this. And by the way, if you're out there and you think this, too, man, again, listen to the end, tag us and let us know. And let's just get a poll going. Does James Gunn look like Harrison Wells? And <laughs> does this mean at some point we could have Harrison Wells appear in a James Gunn film as James Gunn or as a not so cool version of James Gunn? I just <laughs> throwing it out there, DC, if you're listening. Hey, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> on other movie news, there's been an update to The Flash and a possible time frame, which is intriguing because as we've been talking, there was a deadline. And leading up to it, there was a, a buildup that, you know, he teamed with Grant Morrison. More's going on. Uh, Flash is one of my favorite characters, perhaps maybe my all-time favorite. But before I start just gushing, 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 Brad, what do you think about this story? Uh, yeah, as long as we see the film, I'm, you know, uh, I can wait. Um, DC has so much going on right now in the movie world. It doesn't need the Flash to come out right away. So I'd almost rather them wait and perfect it. And, you know, but did he, did Ezra Miller re-sign the contract? Because everything at Reed, it always says that it it ended in May of this year. But I haven't heard whether or not he re-signed. No, that's the thing. I I, actually, I was looking for something in this story that pointed that out. Okay, there should be a link that describes, hey, you know, while it wasn't big news or wasn't announced or, you know, may not have made headlines because of something else. There was a, you know, negotiation in which the contract was extended or, you know, renegotiated and signed. I haven't heard anything like this. The, The thing that intrigues me the most, though, is that this story is basing its information on a uh, a blurb from Variety, which is a highly respected, you know, yeah. trade publication. Someone who doesn't like to put things in print unless they've got a, a good reason for doing it. Now, the best publications can get, you know, schnookered every once in a while. It's going to happen. You're going to try. <laughs> and you think you've got a reliable source. But, you know, if their intentions aren't good and they're trying to use, you know, your credibility or theirs to get something done, well... That could always happen, but I'm intrigued based on the source. But I also have to agree with the idea that you bring up, which is there isn't an immediate need for it. And if that's something to be kept in mind, then why rush? Why not take your time, do it right, get everything the way you need it to be done? And then, yeah, like you you mentioned at the beginning of uh, the answer to this question and this topic, as soon as we get a movie, as long as we get a movie, get us the movie. We're going to be okay with everything else. Just get a movie. And, and you know what else? Make a decision. You know, either this is a movie that in some ways tries to do a, a multiverse thing that, that corrects whatever was supposed to be going on with his appearance in Batman versus Superman and the other sort of references in Justice League, or totally cut your ties and yeah. leave that in the dust and, and do something different. Yeah. Either way. That would be you the, know, yeah, but, that would be the film to do it. Yeah, because you have the chance and if you're taking the time and you're given the time, whatever this new or maybe, you know, negotiation is for this to still happen involves. Okay, but also he's got the Fantastic Beasts filming that they point out and there's, you know, all sorts of things that can go on with that sort of timing as well. So I'm intrigued by this. 
and I like the fact that it's got a great source. I just want there to be more than conversation, just like we were yeah. talking about with the Swamp Thing thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and another of this, thing, too. Oh, sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but no, no, no. We, we've been hearing about this film for so long. So it keeps getting kicked down the road. So, you know, do it or don't at this point, you know. So I would like to, you know, like you were saying, have something confirmed rather than just talk. Because we have been waiting a while. Yeah. And at some point, you know that they're in many ways just sort of bouncing off of whatever is working currently yeah. for DC as a response to how they're going to move. And I feel like that's a reactionary way to proceed and if they keep that going this could just be a great thing that you know never happened or something that by the time it gets it was pushed back so long that you know there's there's a loss in the value of the experience even if it even if it arrives if it doesn't blow our doors off we're uh you know we're gonna be left wanting you know we ended up oh did you want to add on more my friend oh no no okay um uh just to bring it back, we had been talking about how, you know, one of the concerns is with Swamp Thing right now, it's just talk and James Wan associated with that project. We've also got another story here about James Wan and the fact that he talks about some details about the Trench spinoff movie, which is really interesting and important because, one, <laughs> we had a lot of chat about it. Like, what's the value in this movie? Why a horror movie based in the Aquaman sort of region of the DC world? And... You know, the fact that he's willing to talk about it, maybe we can get some answers. Did you get some, you know, info out of this that makes you lean one way or the other when it comes to uh, the Trench movie? Well, I'm, I, you know, when they first announced it, I thought, well, that's probably just right now that they'll get over that and move on. The fact that he's still talking about it is promising. <clears throat> Sorry, I keep coughing. I almost feel like he, something about this to me makes me feel like he had a good idea for a monster movie then he got involved in aquaman and he said wow this idea i have would really work as a trench movie because trench you know that whole thing is not very well known outside of comic book geeks so it has to be a really good idea for them to give the go-ahead so. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued because one, I love your theory. You know, I had a monster <laughs> movie idea, got involved with Aquaman, and went, "Wow, put your hands together, you know, make it make it happen." But I, I also feel like you know, there's a lot of questions still remaining because while this answer seems to address that, you know, sure, we don't really know how much people really want to lean into horror, but it's going to be a monster horror movie. It's still part of the Aquaman world. That doesn't say too much more than what we'd already heard already, which was this would be a horror movie and set in the Aquaman <laughs> world. Yeah. And I just have to pause and go, okay, without anything else beyond this, it's it's hard to really feel like I've been given that, yes, this is why we're making this movie and this is why we think it's going to go so well. A right. um, little, dis- little disappointing to have that. Hey, he talks about it, but all he really talks about is, hey, it's the same thing we've said before and it's going to be great. I would have liked a little more. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of wrote that. I mean, I agree, but I kind of wrote that off as, yeah, I'm really busy right now. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it's because he, I think this all came out during a press on the press junket for Annabelle Comes Home. He right. got asked. So he's, you know, he's out doing his thing. And, uh, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure that, you know, he's trying to figure out a time frame to to work on it. You know, who knows what he's got coming down. 
But, you know, with all these projects, it's just like, I just love when we hear news because it means it's moving forward. And the fact that he's still talking about it, that's a great thing because it means it's that much closer to being a reality. I should always keep that in mind as well. Otherwise, I run the risk of becoming a deputy downer. And nobody likes a deputy downer. They're just not fun to listen to. All they do is complain, complain, complain. Yeah, with this one, I, I guess the only thing that, that I really should have said early with my response was what I read the most into here is we don't have a script. You know, like we have an idea and we don't have a script. And I really yeah. feel like once you've got the story you're going to build on, that's when you start pitching it to people. Um, I work with a game and we had to do a pitch for uh, the game developers conference that they had in San Francisco last year. And I had to boil it down into simply this is a woman torn between duty and family. Right. And that was our pitch. Like, this is how we broke down this. Yeah. And that was like my key line. Everything else had to be built off that. But until we had that story done, when a lot of people would ask about, hey, what's this about? Uh, well, it's about this world and these things. And, you know, people aren't going to tie into that. They're like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. OK, what? I, why am I tying in? But I really feel like uh, this answer lets me know what they want to do and where they want to do it. But yeah. I feel that we're going to really sink our teeth. I am, at least when I hear the details about what that story is about, because then that script's going to be, you know, really present. And that idea is going to be what they're going to be presenting to us. And that's going to get me hungry. Like, OK, you've yeah. got a story. You've thought this right. through. You know, you've got something for us. Um, yeah. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to keep in mind what you said, which is as long as you're talking about it, it, it means it's moving forward. You know, yeah. it lets us know that it's still a project that's got momentum. And I think that's a great thing to keep in mind. So thanks for helping me uh, not have to wear the deputy downer hat. Yeah, yeah. I think it looks yeah, bad on me. It creates a hat <laughs> hair thing for me. Yeah. Appreciate right. it. <laughs> uh, moving into another Batman uh, movie news sort of update. Something that could be intriguing for those who are fans of the actor Andy Serkis and his work on Lord of the Rings is the possibility that he could be involved with the upcoming Matt Reeves, the Batman. What were your thoughts about this story, Brad? I kind of want him to play Clayface. I would love that because he's so good at the motion capture. Uh, he might be he might be a, a cool Clayface. And I also saw uh, a few sketches online that of him as the penguin and that would kind of work too in a way um but he is so talented there it's almost limitless what he what he could do and what characters he could play so i hope that's true i hope he i hope it's not just a rumor i agree i would love to see him i i would really just in, be intrigued with ke watching him portray any character i feel like he's got that ability to just yeah, you know, right, exactly. be, you yeah. know, like skin whoever that character is and just wear it and then go, OK, you know, between this and the soul, I just, you know, go from there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm not curious or, you know, <laughs> questioning his methods or whatever voodoo he does to do that. But, yeah, I really feel like he could take on anyone. But I, I think you might have really hit the head on, you know, the nail on the head with the idea of Clayface. I think given his motion capture experience, he could really bring a degree of humanity to that, which would probably have to be. Uh, I think a keystone if you're going to try and bring that character on screen. There's got to be a human degree or he's just sort of like a CGI monster. And and the way that we've seen other CGI characters connect with us, uh, I I think overall it's been that, that human side that, that makes us go, oh yeah, hey, you know, appearances aside, there's a humanity here that, that 
that I can read into. Um, and his ability to do that with Clayface would be really something amazing to see on screen. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I probably couldn't think of another character besides that now that that would be a better fit than Clayface. So oh, I'm going to let yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I'm going to. Hopefully they're listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to let them figure that out. Let us all know later. And, you know, probably end up just agreeing with the, the, the logic and the rationale of it. Um, given that that's the last of our movie news, we're going to take a quick break. Because, one, we got to pay the, two, the bills. And, two, we know that there's some great information in these ads that you're going to want to hear about. So, thanks for letting us take this quick pause. We'll be right back. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And thanks for sticking with us through that break. We're back with the DC Comics News Podcast, episode number 31. My name is Seth Singleton. I am here with Brad Felicki. Hello. And we are continuing on with more in the DC Comics news and info list that we've got in front of us. And it's quite a list. We've already moved through the movie news. Heading into TV and streaming, we've got a new promo that came out for the upcoming Batman series. And it was a promo that is titled Night Ride. Um, I really enjoyed what I took from it. But Brad, I was curious what your thoughts were when you saw this. It, it wasn't long, but did it make an impression? Yeah, it did. Uh, all these uh, promos that they're showing have been really good at capturing the essence of what the Batwoman character is, and this one did too. Uh, I can't wait to see her you know, see her kick some ass on that motorcycle. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be a very integral part of the character too, in a way. So yeah, it looks and the colors were cool. Uh, so. This is another one of those things where it's like the things that I see are making me kind of more excited for it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really digging with what Ruby Rose is doing with the character. She seems to be having fun even in these promos. So, yeah, you got me again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. What? You got me. Come on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stop, please. I thought it was a great promo. I thought it was quick. I thought it was, you know, really to the point. I do agree with you about the idea behind the motorcycle. I feel like it's going to be integral, perhaps uh, even a bit more so than we saw with Oliver Queen in the Arrow television series, although that introduced a lot of motorcycle elements with not only him, but other characters. And maybe this is a nice little passing of the torch, you know, keeping a character, you know, engaged with that. But she looked good on it. She looked comfortable. You know, she looked like a confident, poised rider. Uh, I, yeah. I'm curious, though, what you thought about this thing that the story mentions, which is the fact that this is the second promo in which we haven't seen her in a bat suit. Does that mean anything to you, or is that just people chatting because that's what they do? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, 
if this was a Netflix series, I would say, well, maybe she's just not into the costume in the first, you know, the first few episodes or whatever. But the CW doesn't necessarily do things that way. So I just think maybe they're saving that for last. Kind of like the grand finale of the promos is have her fully in suit. Okay. Yeah, I was curious, too. I feel like almost there was a, uh, a, a direction or a goal or an intention. Maybe that's what I mean, intention. This intention behind the uh, the promo, this one and the last one, to focus on who is uh, Ruby Rose's Kate Kane. Who is Kate Kane, essentially? Mm-hmm. And that by sort of cementing those ideas for us, that later when we see her as Batwoman and we see her either in action or engaging with someone as Batwoman, it'll kind of create that either reference point or uh, foundation or source for like, well, why would she say that? Well, based on what you've seen of Kate Kane, this is how she as Batwoman is going to react. So you're kind of seeing who the foundation of the character is, who that person is who eventually puts on the, the cowl. Because the big question is, What's it like for the person behind the cowl who can put on the the costume every night and, you know, do the deed? And the idea here is we're going to start out with who this person is, and then we're going to show that person as Batwoman, and then maybe the connection will be clear. That's a pretty – man, you you went deep there. I mean, I'm just thinking that maybe they just didn't have the footage to show yet. (laughs) But, yeah, you could be right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's probably – actually, that makes a lot of sense. Well, there's always a possibility that, you know, I'm just guessing around or having some fun. But as soon as I saw that question, it just sort of kept rattling around in my head. And I think in the process of answering, uh, you know, this little idea that's been sitting in my subconscious sort of came out like, well, if you're going to have somebody, you know, wear the outfit, you got to explain how they're going to do it. Um, And I, I, I do like what you mentioned about the Netflix idea. You know, maybe it's just not time yet. And, you know, maybe the first things we get to see of, uh, of Batwoman is actually Kate Kane, you know, before we see her suit up or, you know, go ahead and, and take this, you know, next step. Because mm-hmm. um, I know we've seen it with some of those shows that are on Netflix, right? You know, there's been yeah, that example more of a slow, where... They're more of a slow burn as opposed to the CW shows where it's more... Action oriented, I guess, in a way, but the the stories are more what's where I'm looking more comic booky in a way. Gotcha. Uh, if that makes sense, you know, with the plots of the like you mean like pacing like and everything like that. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And so, because it is a CW show rather than something that's on Netflix, they might want to move things along a little faster and get and get her into that costume sooner. True. Yeah, I was curious, though, you know, the thing that, that maybe maybe think of it also is that one of the things that you had mentioned really early on uh, in our conversation today was the influence that the Dark Knight had, that the uh, uh, Christopher Nolan versions of Batman had. And in the first Batman movie, it took a while before he put on that suit. We We had some, you know, periods there with him, you know, going through that process of, you know, who is who is this Bruce Wayne kid? And, and how does he end up becoming this guy who learns to do all these things? But um, I'm intrigued to see how much of a time frame there is from when we see Kay Kane as, you know, as she is in Gotham to when she puts on the suit. Because this is making a point of saying, we're going to focus on Kate right now. 
and uh, you'll get Batwoman. You'll get her. But uh, right now, these promos seem to be about, you know, the woman behind the uh, the mask, so to say. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where they go. I'm really curious. Yeah. Um, moving along into a somewhat darker corner of DC, the information that was sort of given to us about HBO releasing some new promos really different sort of promos for me uh featuring regina king in the watchman what did you think about this brett well i'm watchman is one of my favorite stories of all time so i'm just i just i so hope this is good and by all accounts everything that's coming out about it the buzz is very good i but my original and what i thought about the show was that it was going to kind of not be so much of a superhero show but with these, with her, with these promos, with her putting on that costume, it looks like looks like the, the actual superhero part of the show is actually going to be more prevalent than I thought, which excites me because uh, there's so much you can do within that Watchmen world. So, yeah, I just I I want like a full trailer, not these little snippets. I can't <laughs> wait until that first. Re- and they had that one trailer, but like really a more of a more of a plot driven kind of giving us hint about what's going on uh, rather than that, that first trailer felt like a teaser to me almost. So, you know, I, this is another one that I just say can't wait for, but I'm a little, <laughs> my, I'm trying to keep my expectations in check because the, you know, the Watchmen disc is one of my favorite stories. So, so, yeah, yeah I crossed. I was really intrigued by it. You know, I, I thought it was an interesting sort of promo thing with the, the clips from Instagram, these sort of like really short, like four or five second little snippets. Um, and and overall, those little brief snapshots seem to, you know, show this character getting ready. And then there is just that one, like you said, that one little teaser where it's the, the character turning and we get a close focus on the face and there's a hat there's a or like a no i'm sorry it's more of like a hood and uh, a face covering and you just see the eyes and then that's the end of it and, and that badge so that's interesting too it's exactly they mentioned the tulsa bit. police badge yeah yeah so hmm. yeah how many details about interested. this will be as familiar to us as you know the parts of the movie that we're familiar with or the original comic book series uh I'm I'm intrigued to see. I almost feel like in some ways, you know, as this points out that this is the post Dr. Manhattan world. This is after, you know, all yeah. of the, the machinations were put into place and and everybody sort of suffered the effect of it or dealt with the uh, fallout. And, and what's that look like now? So that could be a really interesting idea. Um, it almost reminded me of uh, there's that Marvel series that they've got. It's it's about mutants, but it has no direct ties to X-Men. And it, it sort of references them, but it features a world in which there was a cataclysmic event. And now mutants are sort of, you know, adjusting. And it seems like this Watchmen, you know, sort of set of trailers we've seen in the suggestion of a, a post event is sort of what happens to the world after they've seen the superheroes in in this way or after some sort of event caused by them has has sort of left its impact or imprint on the world um that's a completely different thing for me too because that's going to be i think in so many ways so so far removed from all the core elements of watchmen that i'm wondering how much of it's really going to be you know 
stuff that I associate with from the books and the movie and how much of it is something that has to be built for me. Like, well, this is actually a new world and a new story, you know, and, you know, join the ride or not. You know, it it does. I was kind of worried when I heard that it was kind of, you know, that it takes place after the events of the comic and all that. But it's it does seem like from the, you know, that teaser that that it does keep the same tone as the comics. Like it, it feels like it's in that same world. And that that makes me happy because there are so many little distinct things about that world. Uh, and it seems like so far they're getting that right, which is good to see. I'm going to agree with you completely on that. I also feel like because it was such a complete world and it contains so many elements that can be explored that this series can take so many different parts that it wants and, and really still build a really great experience and narrative for us all. I'm really intrigued to see, you know, just how that ends up working out for us. And like you said, when we get to finally see a true trailer that starts to introduce what the ideas of this place are and, and what it is it, it wants us to experience as part of the show. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's supposed to debut this fall, so we should hopefully be seeing some more soon. Yeah, I, I know that uh, we've we've got a date. Uh, it doesn't reference it in this article, but I know we've talked about when it's expected to be coming out, and I believe you're right as far as the fall. So looks like we're going to, you know, have to be a little bit patient, have to wait a little bit, which I'm okay with. And in the process, uh, hey, I've got my own fun little theories. And until they pan out, it's really fun for me to, to hear them, think them, and compare them to yours. Because, you know, that's the, the best part is, oh, that's a good idea. All right, well, what if I take that somewhere else? So, you know, we're going to keep talking about it the more they keep teasing us with this. And when they finally give us a trailer, well, guarantee you we'll be talking about it on here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, interestingly enough... It was no small news when Warner Brothers announced that its movie division would be skipping Hall H this year, especially with the slate of films that we were hoping to get more information about. But there is a, I guess, another side of the coin in that Warner Brothers TV has scheduled 14 events at San Diego Comic-Con. Only two of them will actually be in Hall H. So there's plenty going on. And both Pennyworth and Batwoman will have special screenings of their pilot episodes on Wednesday night. But it's a two-hour DC Universe event on Saturday night that a lot of people are looking forward to with, you know, sort of sneaks, peaks, breaking news about Titans, Doom Patrol, Harley Quinn, and a full slate, as they mentioned. What caught your attention the most, Brad? What what would you like to talk about? Uh, Anything, you know? Go for it. <laughs> well, I would definitely, if I was going to San Diego, I think that that Batwoman would definitely be a panel that I would have to be at. Uh, just because I love it when they're showing the whole pilot. And it looks like instead of just a special video presentation, you're getting the whole pilot and a Q&A. So that would be a very cool panel. And this DC Universe series sneak previews is interesting. I'm, I'm kind of curious because I'm guessing that that means their streaming service. So I wonder if there's going to be any cool announcements coming from there that we don't know. I, so that would be another interesting panel to see what happens in. I, I feel the same way because when you look at this article and it points out that this event will have, um, I mean, the, the article says as sneak peeks and first looks as well as breaking news about Titans, Doom Patrol, Harley Quinn and more mm-hmm. that caught my attention oh really 
Harlequin. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about Harlequin and DC Universe because this 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 would be a nice development to catch up on. Uh, with everything else that we're hearing about in comics with uh, Black Label and also you know with the upcoming Birds of Prey, what the DC Universe might be doing with Harley Quinn could also be you know a really big announcement at that event. And it's a two hour event, which seems like plenty going on and plenty to sort of want to hear about if you have the chance to be there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I also have to agree with the Batwoman pilot screening. I think that would be, you know, ideal to get a chance to see that trailer. I think that would be uh, one of those moments where afterwards you're like, finally, I saw something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not going to be there ourselves. We're going to have to keep hearing the information from others. And, you know, hopefully those kind souls will keep us informed because there's things we want to know. And hopefully Warner Brothers will release the trailers online, you know, uh, you know, after the panel, after these. Panels. That would be awesome, especially in terms of the Harley Quinn thing, because we haven't really seen anything from that yet. So if they would release some kind of footage during that DC Universe panel. I would love to see that. I agree. I, I think that would be. And also that brings to mind the fact that one of the things that always kind of stuck with me when we first recorded last year together was the information that they'd shown a Warner or a Wonder Woman trailer, but they weren't releasing it. Only if you were there did you get to see it. Yeah. Remember that? And that was kind of like a wow. Now I really wish I was there because <laughs> And it's funny that they would do that because when they released that Aquaman trailer, they put it online and it broke the internet. And that I mean that spread like wildfire. People started talking about it. So Yeah. It seems Why like don't you, you want to break there, the internet? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Why don't you want us to be trending on Twitter? I mean, come on. Come on, man. Get with the program. <laughs> All right. Hey, we, we'll, we'll give him a break for now. And it looks like, you know, it's an impressive lineup of 14 slots for uh, Warner Brothers television and streaming. And plenty, hopefully, that we'll be talking about as, uh, as the news comes out and as we get to chat about it here on the DC Comics News Podcast. On another side of TV and streaming news is the announcement that while the Flash movie is still something that we're waiting to hear more about, the Flash television show charges through into season six with the announcement that they might be getting a new scientist character and a little bit more information that that goes along with it. Brad, out of this story, what caught your attention the most? Well, I think the one thing that grabbed me the most is the fact that the character may act as a love interest for Caitlin Snow, Killer Frost. I think she deserves some love, so I'm happy for that. Um, we do have a lot of scientists, so it'll be interesting to see how they fit that in. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, I'm also intrigued with the yeah with the idea of seeing Killer Frost finally getting some romance back in her life. You know, the loss of Ronnie Raymond was uh, right. That was a tough gig, man. I'm not I'm not trying to have that happen to anybody, you know, and also I think it would be really interesting to have some fun with the romantic side of Caitlin and Killer Frost getting along with some new person in her life. I mean, uh, those are two very distinct personalities that you have to win over and you're going to have to put in your work if you want that relationship to work. So uh, I really like that idea. Plus, a scientist, uh, that could be a bit fun just with the idea that, you know. Isn't he also at some point, he, she going to be curious about, tell me about this killer frost. How's that right. work? I'm a yeah. scientist. I'm naturally curious. 
Um, but uh, without the name, it's going to be difficult. We've already seen a Ray Palmer in the Arrowverse universe, and he went on to be part of uh, Legends of Tomorrow. We've got a Mr. Terrific from the Arrowverse side of things as well. When it comes to scientists, there aren't many others that I can think of right off the top of my head who could maybe drop in for this. So I'm interested to see whether they create a new character or whether we get to see uh, someone from some of DC's lore sort of make an emergency, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just trying to think back. I mean, I know that there's a few options that we have from the modern uh, versions of The Flash, but, you know, Flash has had a number of scientists that he's worked with at Star Labs. So finding another one of those from comics and bringing them to life on on screen, I mean, I'm intrigued to see who they could possibly choose or if they go with a new direction. Watch right after we're done recording. I'm going to have, you know, exactly what I think is the right answer. Be like, ah, oh, Brad, <laughs> Brad, I think I know who it is. So look for that message. Okay. Cause yeah, that's, that's right. what it always happens with. <laughs> I'll keep my eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just so that we can always keep in mind that those ads we share with you provide a little bit of information and also help us pay our bills. We're going to take one more break about five seconds here while we just go ahead and step away. Well, maybe a little bit more than five seconds for us. It seems shorter. We just love the commercials that much. And as soon as we're done, stick around. We've got comics news and more coming right back here with you on the DC Comics News Podcast. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. And we're back. DC Comics News Podcast, episode number 31. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, joined today with or by <laughs> Brad Felicki. Brad, how are you? I'm doing good. Solid. Thanks for, uh, you know, helping me out with all this movie TV streaming news that's been coming our way. I'm going to bring us to the source material, the thing that in so many ways is the inspiration, the foundation, the, uh, the place we go to when we need to tell great stories, either in film or television. And in the comic book world, we've got a little bit of D&D in the DC comics world. Talking about a fantasy called The Last God. Now, I can go through all of the fun stuff about this. I'll give you a teaser, and then we're going to turn it over to Brad. Essentially, a whole new world of myth, magic, and lore, quoted, so apparently that could be part of a catchphrase, and written by uh, Philip Kennedy. Um, We've also got Ricardo Federici. And sorry, that was writer Philip Kennedy Johnson. Don't want to drop off your last name, sir. (laughs) And artist Ricardo Federici, colorist Dean White, letterer Tom Napolitano, and they're partnering for a mature reader story of cross-generational quest to kill 
evil tyrant king. There's more to this story, but I'm going to just go ahead and go with this information about the last god who is seeking to destroy the land of Cain Anun. I hope I said that right. Brad, what do you think about this story? Uh, it seems pretty epic. Uh, you know, fantasy is pretty popular right now, so it's kind of cool to see DC, you know, dipping its toes in that pool. And I'm happy that it is a mature reader story, uh, which makes me wonder if it's going to somehow be part of the black label down the road now that Vertigo's gone. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. The story sounds interesting. It sounds pretty epic, cross-generational. So yeah, there's... Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this. I am too. I'm really excited about the idea that, uh, one, as you said, that they're, you know, catching that wave of enthusiasm that's gone with the uh, sword and sorcery, with the fantasy um, storytelling. And I love this sort of quote that came out from uh, Johnson, you know, this fans of D&D and Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings and Magic, The Gathering, anyone who enjoys deep dives into fantasy, you will be extremely well served. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a great intro. I also love this idea that the, uh, the story is about, you know, a lie. Essentially, there's a fellowship similar to what you would experience in, in Lord of the Rings or something else. And there's a quest to kill the, ty the tyrant demonic evil known as Maul Ultep. I wonder if I said that right. The last god. And that they bring his downfall, a new age of prosperity. And then right as the uh, last of the original fellowship members dies, he reveals that, yeah, the last god still lives. And the children and successors are kind of responsible. Good luck. What did you think about that sort of yeah. plot twist they tossed in there? Yeah, I, I dig that. Those are the kind of things that kind of make my ears perk up. And oh yeah, oh, hmm. yes. Um, yeah, I was in, I was intrigued. I love it when there's characters who are supposed to be so noble, and you find out that they've got this great fault, and now there's all of this consequence coming about because of it. But I just wonder if I would have liked that better, being a surprise going into it. Or, curious about that too yeah i can yeah, see where that so, would be you know an issue for me um yeah. you know did you just go ahead and give away the farm right there or yeah. <laughs> yeah um i'm also curious though if if you're willing to go ahead and present that to us then where is the actual twist right you know exactly. i also feel like that, that there's yeah you yeah. know there's there's got to be something more going on with the story then and it's got to be in some way part of the telling i guess then or yeah. part of the you know format or, or something else that that makes it original or makes that less of a revelation than whatever else they tell right. us right yeah 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 i thought that too yeah i'm intrigued um you know i'm i'm mostly interested to see what these original characters look like and i'm also curious to just find out more about the story as, as we get big developments on it yeah moving along with the uh comic book info We've got a story here about the Legion of Superheroes and a promo image that reveals more DC comebacks. What did you think about this uh, promo poster that they offered up for us? I like the designs of the characters, uh, but it makes me wonder, you know, are, are the hardcore Legion fans going to, to like it? Um, so I'm kind of interested, interested to hear their reaction. It's because it's not that I'm not a Legion superheroes fan. I'm just not as familiar as other DC properties. So going into this, I'm like, okay, Bendis is writing it. I like the designs. Okay, cool. 
but it seems like diehard fans are a little more concerned. So, um, I mean, what do you think? Are you are you up on the Legion lore? I I have a comfortable knowledge. I feel like I I can dive into a lot of their stories and feel really familiar with who most of the characters are. I got into uh, in the '90s. They had the Legionnaires. Do you remember that? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my first introductions. And through that, I would find old issues of you know Legion. Uh, I would enjoy any sort of story I could find that they would do with, you know, when they would have the super boy with the Legion of Superheroes. And I'm also familiar that when I was reading Legionnaires, I saw a lot of print about how people were really concerned about showing these characters as being a little bit younger and about that portrayal. Like they didn't want them to be too perfect, too muscular, too, mm-hmm. too fit bodied, you know, like make them kind of awkward teenagers and such. Yeah, um, more like modern like a, even though they're whatever century, yeah. It, right. the, the look of the characters, the shapes, the body shapes, you're right. It, it seemed a little more updated and modern. And I think that's the biggest challenge is that there's, there's sort of a recognition for the, the earlier versions of these characters and moving them forward in any way. It's gotta be a really thoughtful thing. I think um, it, it's almost as though, they need to get to that point where with Batman, you make the argument of the version of the costume based on whatever the story is supposed to be telling, because we've got so many types of Batman we've seen. You know what I mean? There's the all black outfit. There's the all black yeah. with the yellow chest. There's the blue and gray there. You know what I mean? And, and it's um, kind of one thing that I always enjoyed about DC. Um, they always have freedom with how different artists interpret the characters look. Marvel, you don't have that so much, but every artist has a different take on Penguin, Joker, you know, and it's so much fun to watch them put their little twists on on characters. And it's it's cool that DC lets their artists do that. I completely agree. And that actually is a really nice segue into the second part of the story that I'm intrigued by, which is that before we get to see this you know, group of Legion, we're going to see Legion of Superheroes Millennium, a two-part series that Bendis is writing that will deal with characters that are from the future, (laughs) but also in so many different versions of the future. So it's going to be characters like Supergirl and Batman Beyond. Wow. Commandi, um, or Commandi. I don't know how you pronounce that correctly. I always said Commandi. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Tommy Tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Booster Gold. OMAC, and then the Legion of Superheroes, which should then in some way feed into this ongoing Legion story. And that this series, this two-parter, will have art from Nicola Scott, Jim Chung, Dustin Wynn, and Jim Lee. Which, you know, I think really points to that idea you were... Yeah, and a great chance to see them interpret all of those characters I just mentioned, just like you said, with that degree of freedom where they can sort of, you know, add the flair that they want or emphasize the things that they want and and present them to us, you know, in a different light than we might have seen them as drawn previously by artists who are more familiar with drawing those characters. Um, in fact, do you remember Impulse, the comic book, when mm-hmm. he would have those giant feet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and depending on the artist, the feet were so big. And I, I think that's a perfect example of, you know, that idea that, artists can keep taking those details and play with them and reintroduce yeah. them to us in all sorts of different ways. And, you know, if it fits the story again, I'm, I'm good with it. Cause I feel that helps, you know, make a uh, visual association that 
yeah. creates a stronger connection. So, yeah, I, I really think the the biggest challenge is will there be some sort of thing that lets us know that this was done thoughtfully, you know, for these characters who've been around for so long, especially for the Legion. Um, but I also, you know, would just like to see, hey, show me the great story that makes me care more about that than about these little details that modernize these characters we've known for so long. Other than that, I think I'm going to be pretty happy. Yeah. Um, now, here's a story that I know you're really interested in, and to be honest, going to be a little disappointed if you don't really take charge and just start going on this one. Uh. No, no offense. Uh, no, and actually no pressure. Um, and how can I offend you? I haven't even told you what the story is yet. But you know what we're getting to. We're getting yeah. to DC yeah. is teaming up with Joe Hill for a pop-up horror line of comics. Brad, take it away from here, my friend. Tell me everything you thought about this one and why it was the first one you mentioned when we were talking about putting together our list for today. Well, I'm a huge, huge Stephen King fan. So Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. If you've ever seen pictures of Joe Hill, they look pretty much exactly alike. I mean, there's no Spot on. Uh, no doubting it. They definitely look alike. So I'm super excited. And, you know, he also wrote Lock and Key, which was a very well-received horror comic uh, from a few years back. Uh, you know, now he's been concentrating on um, uh, novels and he's got, that the show on AMC Nosferatu that just came out that's based on one of his novels. So he's having, he's having quite a good year. And I love that he is coming back to comics to steer this, uh, this kind of imprint, the Hill house comics. And they are releasing, I think five different, different uh, comics. He's writing some of them. Uh, we've got, Basket full of heads, which is, here's the description. It sees a young woman come into possession of a magical axe when she and her boyfriend find Viking artifacts at a New England mansion. Uh, they, uh, they find this axe. A group of people breaks into the mansion during a storm. Her boyfriend disappears. In the fight that follows, uh, she reaches for the axe, and we learn that the axe has supernatural power, so it can lop off a, a head in a single stroke. But the head keeps talking, so there you go. <laughs> And we have another one, the Dollhouse family, which uh, centers on a character named Alice, who was gifted a dollhouse filled with a magical family of dolls. And she finds some unexpected results when she returns to the dollhouse after many years. And we got the Low, Low Woods, which features a Pennsylvania mining town afflicted by a mysterious plague that eats memories, which sounds fascinating to me. Uh, Daphne Byrne finds the titular character in 1800s New York, where she discovers a strange, insidious entity within her body. And finally, we have, when this is the one I think I'm looking forward to the most, uh, The Plunge, which I, Hill is writing as well, and it is, as he calls it, his chance to riff on one of the greatest horror films of all time, John Carpenter's The Thing. And just because it's Joe Hill and it's influenced by John Carpenter's The Thing, I can't wait to see <laughs> what he does with that. Uh, and you wonder why scenes, I wanted you to talk so much about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Daphne Byrne one seems very Lovecraftian with the New York in the 1800s and some insidious entity within her body. So, yeah, I mean, all these I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I was... So happy to hear about this. And they are having a also a panel at Comic-Con this year to um, to promote this. So we'll probably have a lot of cool interior art 
seen at Comic-Con. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, that'll well. be a great thing to share and, you know, yeah. sort of get some teasers going for what these stories are all going to start to look like. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that you, you brought in, you know, the association to Stephen King. And also for anyone who's been a fan of his work on Lock and Key, that they can you know start making those two connections regarding this uh, yeah, yeah. Hill House Comics line that's going to be launching. But also, um, yeah, how do you not love a story about a basket full of heads? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I love this idea that the heads keep talking. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can cut them off, but then you got to do something with them. <laughs> and to me, that doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't seem so much horror as it does comedy. I mean, you could have some pretty funny uh, explorations of heads that talk in a bag. Oh, yeah. Uh, I yeah. Think that, I uh, think that could uh, definitely be funny. <laughs> I, I was a big fan when the Deadly Class uh, series on sci-fi oh, yeah. had that yeah. series of episodes with Carlos, I think his name was. Yep. Uh, you know, and they, they cut off his head, and, <laughs> and the whole time he's just talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, create a really so the idea though if it's on a horror side that you could have just that variety whether the full horror of you know that talking head still just messing with you you know or or also creating that comedic side where you got somebody who's like oh i can finally talk to somebody and i don't feel like i'm encumbered (laughs) and really uh there's always an element of comedy in really good horror i think um jordan peele's movies you can you know you can definitely see that um, so yeah, so uh, man, I can't wait for these books. I I'm, hope that I'm really successful, and that he kind of spreads the line out and you know continues because I think that these are all limited series, so I don't know how long you know you know maybe six, twelve issues. So hopefully there'll be other things that they can work on as well. Yeah, it would be nice to see some of these continue on beyond the limited series, become a regular, or create characters who could go on to have their own you know stories get told. Um, yeah. I'm curious though, maybe like the limited series is that testing the waters thing or to see what the demand response is, or it could maybe be a little bit a... of both. Maybe that's what stories were just, Oh, we can tell this in six issues, seven issues, whatever, you know? Right. So um, yeah. yeah. And it could be a really smart budget introduction. I mean, some of the yeah. most popular books we've seen recently have been mini maxi series. Um, you know, whether you're talking about Mr. Miracle yeah, that's exactly or, what popped uh, into my head. Right. Or I'm really enjoying the Fury series. I think that's been yeah. a really good introduction. And those are designed to tell just a, a story in so many issues and, and walk away and, you know, not deal with anything else beyond its continuity at that time. So yeah. I, I'm intrigued by this idea because I've seen it done well. So I'd like to see how, you know, how this is achieved. But also, I think your idea about getting to see more about this, maybe this line expanding, because, you know, as we held that, that sort of, uh, you know, recognition that the passing of vertigo last week was a a, a monument you know yeah. not not a kind of happy one a little bit yeah a little bit and maybe sort of lets us know that there's a desire by dc to address the need for those mature readers and and maybe direct these lines to, to answer that need that's now going to be you know no longer available through vertigo so uh yeah i really i really think that's a great thing to to point out about these, you know, the idea of this line continuing beyond these limited series. And I mean, there's something about the name about this Hill house comics that feels like it's more than just a series of limited books, you know? Yep. Um, Fingers crossed that Stephen King would write a series. (laughs) Oh, fingers crossed. (laughs) Now I'm curious, do you think 
there's any sort of, you know, response from dad about the fact that his favorite horror movie is John Carpenter's The Thing? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure that, I mean, I don't know if you happen to follow Stephen King on Twitter, but he's pretty active. And I, I'm sure he's just going to gush about it. <laughs> if he hasn't already, I, I'm sure, because he's he's always promoting uh, Joe's stuff too. So, and and Stephen King has liked comics. I mean, he did Back to Vertigo. He did uh, some issues of um, American Vampire with Scott Snyder when it first debuted. So uh. he's he's a bit of a fan. So I could definitely see him talking about it. Yeah. No. And uh, you know, watching someone that you've raised while they've seen you do this and watching them turn around and do it themselves. That's got to be a great thing to brag about. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now that wraps up our comic side, but as with all things DC related, it's not always just about the movies, the TV or the comics. Sometimes there's these other interesting bits of periphery. These, these fun little pieces of the DC universe that don't fall into one of those other neat categories, but they do hold a neat little place generally in either our hearts or, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe on our shelves. Um, starting out with the first one that, that comes out of this category, and it's the fact that Michael Keaton is going to be writing a forward for Inside Edition's Batman, the definitive history of the Dark Knight in comics, film, and beyond. Uh, essentially, you know, 2019 is the 80th anniversary for Batman, who debuted way back, Detective Comics number 27, 1939. And we had our own little celebration on the podcast where we, you know, shared a lot of what this meant for us. But this book takes a little bit further. What did you think about this story in the news that Michael Keaton is going to be involved with the uh, that intro? That well, forward. I think, yeah, I think the book is going to be absolutely beautiful. I think that's going to be something that uh, so many Batman fans are going to want. I, mean, I think Steve has really gushed about it on the podcast as well how much he can't wait for it so and you know how much of a batman fan he is so i think a lot of batman fans are going to be that same way michael keaton interesting interesting choice i'd be interested to see what he has to say but i couldn't help but wonder there's got to be people that were more (laughs) integral with the character than than michael keaton who just played him in two movies despite how important we've just got done talking about the 1989 (laughs) but um but i like michael keaton so we'll see what he has to say yeah now i i did notice as i was reading through this article um and i agree that you know keaton's role which was very uh what's the word seminal in in regards to Batman in 89 and also uh, Batman Returns. But those were only two movies, and plenty of people have been, been involved with multiple issues, multiple books, uh, other series. I did note that Kevin Conroy is also involved in writing, so it's going to be Keaton writing the forward. Kevin Conroy will be writing the introduction. And yeah, that's that, a, yeah he's a good choice, too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like his association with Batman might even be a little bit more. How many films has Kevin Conroy done? Well, with he, Batman? I mean, oh, so many. He's probably right. played Batman more than anybody else. There you go. <clears throat> I also noticed that it says that there's going to be a preface that'll be written by Denny O'Neill, whose association with Batman dates back to, my goodness, 70s now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know. I, I was intrigued by this idea that you've got Keaton, who they mentioned in the headline, whose association with it is really just those two movies. 
But then if you keep looking through it, Kevin Conroy, who, as you mentioned, has played Batman more than anybody. Um, and Denny O'Neill, who is, you know, vital in, in putting that character into the comic books and, and being part of his, you know, monthly issues, uh, also yeah. are going to have this really great say in this added sort of perspective to, to, to read about. Um, now, as we mentioned, some of these things fall into that not quite movie streaming comics. And this other story falls into that category because it's something that might look great on your shelf or they might look. I'm talking about Diamond Select announcing that they're going to have Harley Quinn and Flash exclusives for Comic-Con. As if it wasn't bad enough that you want to be at Comic-Con. And if you can't, these are things you're missing out along with the Warner Brothers television announcement and DC Universe and all that. Now they're going to have exclusives for Harley Quinn and Flash. I got a chance to take a look at them. I've got my thoughts. Brad, what were yours? I really like the Harley Quinn. I like that it's um, more um, like the animated series design. I haven't seen uh, a design like that that's been that looked kind of this cool as far as like a statue goes in a while. So I, I was going to Comic-Con and I, dug, I, I think I would definitely be looking to pick that up. And I like that I, the Flash is running on water. It looks like I think that's a cool, uh, a cool little uh, idea for the base. I thought that was different. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this idea of it being like this wave, as they described it. Um, you know, and and a different sort of presentation than just him on the ground or in mid stride or something like mm-hmm. this. This actually seemed to convey that yeah. idea of motion a little bit. And I completely agree about Harley Quinn. You know, it seemed like it was. Uh, uh, a real homage to the, you know, first introduction of the character on Batman the Animated Series. And I really liked everything about it. It looked true to the character. And sometimes I feel with some characters, there's a desire to do too much, add too much, or especially with some of the female characters to sexualize them too much, right. accentuate That's too exact. much. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't feel like that was going on. You know, and I didn't feel like there was any extra attention paid to any sort of region. And that and, was and especially perfect. with Harley Quinn, it's very easily, it's very easily uh, character to sexualize. Yes, so, and yeah. uh, you know, it, when you see someone see that and go, "Yeah," but look at this great classic version from her when she was just this annoying little, you know, kid, basically in the animated series. Um, there you go. Like that's that's her roots. Why not, you know, point out that that's where she came from? And I thought yeah. this did a great job of doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it reminds me that as we move through a few more of these stories, somewhere Steve is listening to this. Because while (laughs) we're recording it now, as he's hearing it, he's aware that we're recognizing that if you haven't heard from Steve J. Ray while he's talking on these podcast episodes we have, he is, yes, most likely the definitive Batman fan on every episode. And all these stories, he must be almost just like gnawing on his knuckles, like, ah. If I was there, the things I'd say, the things I could tell you, the things I would love to share. And I can only imagine that we're doing our best to make sure, Steve, you're getting all this info and that you'll be looking these over yourselves. And when you come back, hey, drop in. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about we didn't get to hear while you were hearing us. Because the next one is another announcement that's also a uh, Comic-Con exclusive, and that's the Entertainment Earth 66 Batmobile. I always wanted that 
Batmobile. I thought it looked cool from the moment I first saw an episode of the show. I thought it was super cool. And now it's also a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. And it's like, come on, man. Like, I know I don't get to go. (laughs) But now there's all this cool stuff that even if I wasn't going to buy it, I would certainly be looking at it and wishing I was buying it while I was there. What did you think about the story about the Batmobile, man? Uh, It's, you know, I think um, (laughs) last week we were talking about Funko's. And, oh, yeah. and I think it was you were saying, but they're just so cute. And <laughs> that's kind of what I feel about this Batmobile. <laughs> I agree. It's it's yeah. cute. It's adorable. It, um, you know, but actually, I was also kind of more intrigued about the Wonder Woman set. You know, the story mentions that there's also going to be a, a Wonder Woman jet set that's going to be available, as oh, well nice, as a, yeah. a wooden version of the Invisible Jet. I, huh. I, I don't a know. wooden that, version that, of the that... Invisible Jet, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go ahead, pause, let that sink in, wait for the pictures to come out. We'll we'll talk more about. But yeah, I, I mean the Batmobile was a great one. I thought it was cute. And then I read the rest and I'm like, hold on. You just buried the lead here, man. You got a Wonder Woman invisible wooden jet. Go ahead and say that three times fast. And also in the meantime, could you draw me one? Because I, I want to see it. Um, but I always wanted the Batmobile, so I was a little hooked by this story at first going, Oh, really? You're going to have a 66 Batmobile. It's going to look cute. Probably won't even buy it, but I'll look at it and take some pictures and talk about how yeah. great it would be if I had the room for it. Right. And uh, <laughs> and then underneath it, you've got this Wonder Woman story. And that's not the only Batman sort of news on the uh, collectible side. There's also this announcement that Metacom is uh, releasing a Batman hush figure. This one really caught my attention and also makes me think that somewhere Steve J. Ray's ears are burning and his tongue is twisted up trying to share with us, even though we're already recording and he's listening to it on the podcast channel. <laughs> what did you think about this Batman Hush figure? Oh, man, it makes me wish that I was a kid again, because this looks like the action figures that I wanted action figures to be when I was collecting and playing with them when I was you know, seven, eight years old. Yeah, uh, the the details and the articulation and the Bruce Wayne face is really, really well sculpted. And that cape, man, that cape is something else. It's quite <laughs> the cape. It's, <laughs> it's pretty darn big. But yeah, this it's just and like the details on the bottom of the boots, like the yeah, right. It's just, man, I thought it was a really awesome figure. I also love it. It's the the hush. So you've got that blue gray you know, the blue gray outfit. Um, And, and I love seeing just these different versions of of Batman in these colors, because it just reinforces that idea you were talking about right at the beginning, you know, about what happens when artists get a hold of them and just twist them just a little bit as part of their interpretation and how, you know, in the process they become iconic. I mean, when I was growing up, Batman was always in the blue and gray. That was just the yeah, version I saw in, in coloring books and comic books and everything else, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought this was a gorgeous figure, really well styled. Um, I also agree with you on the cape. <laughs> Pretty cool. And also the uh, the Bruce Wayne was just, you know, it, it seemed like they had just taken one of those iconic moments from a comic book and just... Whoosh, Pasted right. it right on there. I thought it was a really great job. Same way with the look on Batman's face too. It seemed like it was like right out of a panel. Agreed. Like the Agreed. The teeth and yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was a lot of time, thought, and uh, a, a lot of just patience. I feel 
you know, that yeah. they really, they're, you know, they put it down. Um, and when they did, they put it down with authority. It, it's a really gorgeous one. Uh, I'm only disappointed we don't get to hear what Steve has to say, because I'm sure <laughs> there would be so much. And I'm sure oh, yeah. that even now he's counting out the money required in order to acquire yep. these from DC Comics whenever he's going to get them. Um, Maybe he'll just have to leave vacation early. Hey, man, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> and that is our last story of episode number 31 of the DC Comics News Podcast. I've been your host today, Seth Singleton. I've been joined by the always engaging, always delightful Brad Felicki. Brad, for anybody out there who, who thinks your thoughts and everything that you were presenting to them is something they want to learn more about, please, how can they find you? What's the best uh, way they can get a hold of you? You can find me writing news and reviews on DC Comics News. Uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter, FlickyB1. So, yeah, follow me. Yeah, and let him and me know. Uh, as I said, I'm your host, Seth Singleton. You can find me if you just type in my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story. If you do like podcasting, I have another podcast uh, that you'll find me on back around here i'll talk about that in a second and then i do my own storytelling with seth uh which you're welcome to check out but please always listen to an episode here first before you listen to an episode that i've got going because i like to talk about stuff we do on here and i'd hate for you to not understand what's going on so always check first with the newest episode of dc comics news and then Give me a try if you want to hear more about what I got to say about it. Because sometimes, like I told Brad, I have these great ideas after we're done recording. And I want to put them down somewhere. So that's what happens. When it comes to getting in touch with us and letting everyone here at DC Comics News, both on the website, on the podcast, know what you think about the things we were talking about. And to make sure you're always kept up to date. One, make sure that you're paying attention to your podcast platform. DC Comics News is now on all the major ones, whether you're Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. So if you haven't yet, if you're just catching this through a link on Twitter or somewhere else, head on over to your favorite podcast platform, find DC Comics News, subscribe, and then rate and review. I think we're five stars, but I'd love to hear what you think. And if you think we're not, how can we make it better? Brad's with me. We're willing to work for you. You know what I mean? When it comes to social media, as we mentioned, Brad's available on his address on Twitter. DC Comics News is on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. We're at DC Comics News. And if you use that tag and you mention the DC Comics News podcast, you can tell us about the story you like the most. The stuff you heard us say that you want to comment on or anything else you think we should know or we'd love to hear. Mostly, we just love hearing from you. So keep that in mind. And also, if you get a chance, you can join me here once a week on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. It's a chance to hear what I think of the top five books every week from DC Comics. And I'm curious to hear what you think, too. We've been the DC Comics News Podcast. This has been episode number 31. We have only one last thing to say. It's the same thing we say at the end of every episode. Because while it's all about these different things we do, the one thing you can always do is to always read more comics. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll be with you next week, just like each and every week. I'm Seth Singleton. This has been Brad Felicki. Brad, say goodbye for us. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, we're gone. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.